Hello, I'm your host Josh Charig and welcome to A History of Heavy Metal in 100 Songs, Episode 8. Today I'll be discussing Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. If you'd like to get in touch, you can contact me via Twitter on at AHOHM100. I'll also be sharing extra resources here. There's some confusion over the song name, and I've heard arguments rage whether it's Voodoo Child, as in a mispronunciation of the South American country Chile, or Voodoo Child, as in Can You Tell Your Child to Stop Slapping My Child? Then there's the bracketed slight return suffix on occasion. To be clear, I'll be talking about the roughly five-minute version which is titled Voodoo Child Slight Return. Hendrix himself would use the titles interchangeably whilst the album was in production, but it seems these days Voodoo Child, as in the country, refers to the 15-minute track and Voodoo Child, as in the little people, Slight Return, is the five-minute song which appears last on Electric Ladyland. This is the canon I'm going with, unless specified otherwise. And from now on, I'll be referring to it as Voodoo Child without the slight return suffixed. If you've not heard this song before, or it's been a while since you have, pause the podcast, give it a listen, and come straight back. Hendrix was born into almost abject poverty in Seattle, and eventually moved to Memphis to play guitar as a career. He sessions for high-profile musicians like Little Richard during the 60s, but he kept up staging them and didn't last long in any backing band. Plus, he wasn't really into being a backing musician. He wanted to be the star. Lucky for him, he was discovered by Chaz Chandler from The Animals and moved to England to start his career there. It's quite an incredible feat, considering he had nothing here. He knew no one and had never been before, and the music industry is really fickle. But he went with it. Chandler was equally confused. Hendrix was one of the best, most talented guitarists he'd come across. How had no one discovered him earlier? He was expecting to find Hendrix's real manager at any point. In London, he started the band The Jimi Hendrix Experience and went on tour supporting established musicians. At every show, they would blow the audience away. They'd heard nothing like it before. The press were leaving these amazing reviews. The main breakthrough was in late 1966, when the experience played at the London Polytechnic. Hendrix played on stage with Cream. After he started, Clapton left the stage slumped with his head in his hands. He thought he was done, his career over, and Hendrix, the new king of rock. I mean, if Clapton did leave music, perhaps he'd have the time to read about the benefits of vaccinations, but, you know, never mind. From here... Hendrix went on a meteoric rise in the UK, and eventually the US. He changed music like very few people have, and still remains one of the most influential musicians to walk this earth. By 1968, Hendrix was a household name and one of the most high-profile musicians in Western music, if not the world. He had two albums under his belt, both top 10 chart ranking, and was recording his third, Electric Ladyland. Considering the average pop album had 12 songs with a runtime of around 30 to 45 minutes, Ladyland had over 16 songs, over two vinyls with a playtime of over 73 minutes, making it quite a long album. <laughs> this prolific release contains some of Hendrix's most well-known hits like Crosstown Traffic, Dylan's All Along the Watchtower cover, and what we're interested in today, Voodoo Child. Hendrix recorded Ladyland in various studios in the UK and US, 
And whilst in the US, set up a jam session with bassist Jack Cassidy from Jefferson Airplane and organist Steve Winwood from Traffic. They jammed for almost 15 minutes, which would become Voodoo Chow, a slow blues song where Hendrix nods back to his musical, cultural and religious roots. He brings these roots to the modern world. Hendrix loved science fiction and used futuristic imagery intertwined with these references to Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. Voodoo Child is a sort of condensed version of that. The song structure follows a loose 12-bar blues and there are some guitar licks here and there reminiscent of early blues. The lyrical themes are perhaps the biggest bridge from the past to the present, but I'll get there in a sec. As first, I want to talk about the guitar. The first thing we hear is a fade-in of Jimmy scratching away at his strings and rock back and forth on his wah pedal. For those who may not know, a wah pedal is an effect pedal which alternates between high and low filters. It's controlled by the user moving the pedal backwards and forwards. This song is a really good example of that effect. And if you want to hear other good examples of it, of this effect, uh, you can listen to the um, shaft theme, I suppose, and uh, the bass riff on For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica. There aren't a great deal of examples of wah before Hendrix, so this song really helped popularise that effect. Distortion was really important to him too, and a really unique type of distortion can be heard on this track. Instead of being gritty, in-your-face and overtly fuzzy like Day and Night or Satisfaction, it's smooth and crunchy, and possibly the first time we've heard such smooth and crunchy distortion on record. Early in his career, Hendrix met engineer Roger Mayer, who helped him achieve the tones Jimmy could hear in his head. Mayer helped dial in specific tones on guitar and built him effects pedals no one else was using at the time. Mayer built Hendrix the first ever octava pedal, an effect which, put simply, plays a note an octave lower than the note the guitarist is playing. It's not on this track, but if you think of Hendrix's song Purple Haze, that's the sound of an octava. What is on this song though are two effects used together, wah and distortion, and that hadn't really been done before. Going back to what I was saying before, Hendrix's tone was really dialed in. He pushed the boundaries of distortion through EQing it to make it sound heavier, yet at the same time, less rough. Listen to that guitar tone, it's heavy, it's a heavy song, yet Hendrix's vocals and lyrics keep the song laid back. His playing style too was, again, very laid back. And on his playing, it's not an exaggeration to say no one knew the guitar like Hendrix. It was almost an extension of his own body. He used techniques other guitarists just didn't at the time, like using his thumb to hold the root note, freeing his other fingers to play other notes traditional guitar playing couldn't reach. His playing was really free as well. Whilst other guitarists wrote riffs, chords, and solos, and kept to those structures, Hendrix was constantly adding bits here and there, like an extra lick or an extra hammer-on or a few notes in quick succession here and there. No two verses were the same. He gave popular music this informal arrangement it so desperately needed. He changed music in another way too. In mid to late 60s British music, according to Charles Shah Murray, a Hendrix biographer, there was this hierarchy of guitarists, which at the top sat Clapton. 
it doesn't surprise me that in the 60s Britain there was this unspoken hierarchy, even in music. And from other accounts, it actually sounds like a pretty competitive place of guitarists trying to be better than others. Hendrix, this newcomer no one had heard of, just came out of nowhere and dethroned the king in about a week. <laughs> it sounds weird that something creative like music would have this competitiveness between players. Sure, some will be better than others, but it gets to a point where it doesn't matter. When I grew up playing guitar as a teenager, there were good players, some better than others, but there wasn't this sort of hierarchy that I keep hearing about with 60s British musicians. I guess Hendrix is to thank for smashing that aside and showing all musicians can be good in their own way. They can all be respected. He didn't do it to be competitive, he just played guitar. He was described as soft-spoken and polite and just a very nice guy. He went on to steamroll the music industry and take over wherever he went, which makes me think about the lyrics to Voodoo Child. I stand up next to a mountain and I chop it down with the edge of my hand. Hendrix sees himself as big as a mountain, this unmovable, gigantic, geological feature created from rock over millennia. He effortlessly chops it down with his bare hands. I don't mean to say here that Hendrix thinks so much of himself or has this big head. It sounds like he's looking back on his short career in music, these institutions which are in control, the way guitarists are supposed to play. This is the mountain and he managed to chop it down. And he'll pick up all the pieces and make an island. A mountain is inhospitable, often impassable, at least without the correct knowledge and equipment. An island is a hospitable chunk of land in a sea, something that's very hard to survive in. It's easy to get onto an island from the sea. Hendrix is saying he's destroying these institutions and making something more equal and more accessible to others, or at least that's what he wants to do. In the 60s, whilst London was less racist than the America Hendrix came from, it was still a racist place. The music industry was predominantly white, which makes it even more amazing that Hendrix had the success he did. Perhaps that's also what he's reflecting on in these lyrics. He did this as an African-American in a white man's world. And maybe he'll raise a little sand. He chooses what his new utopia looks like. He built it. He has the power to build and destroy at his will. Whilst these lyrics are speaking about the present and the future, there are voodoo undertones to them. Voodoo is a religion with many subsets. It's a bit like saying someone is Christian. Well, are they Protestant? Are they Mormon? With voodoo, there are different traditions as well. A voodoo child can be a reference to a couple of things. Someone who calls themselves a voodoo child is saying they are of African heritage. But another reference it could be is in Haitian voodoo, the god Bondier created the universe and, similar to the Judeo-Christian god, is transcendent, meaning it can't be interacted with. Instead, there are Loa, and apologies if, I'm, if I haven't pronounced that correctly, I've only ever um, read the words, uh, spirits who bring protection and have different associations with them. There are about a thousand or so, and in some forms of voodoo, these are sort of scenes similar to how saints are seen in Christianity. 
Some have the power to create and destroy, similar to what Hendrix is singing about. A voodoo child could be a reference to a lua, but phrased in a way which is a bit more accessible for a Western audience. What was accessible for his audience upon this track's release was the psychedelic nature of these metaphors. This idea of chopping down mountains and building islands at your leisure can be reminiscent of an acid trip, a good acid trip, something Hendrix was no stranger to. Acid and other psychedelic drugs were popular at this time, and this song seemed to popularise that culture further. Again, this song would be a youth rebellion anthem. It's almost trivialising acid trips in an age where taking drugs was feared by the ruling elite. It spoke to those wanting a more colourful life, which they were in charge of, where they were in control and could seek whatever pleasure they wanted. There's this freedom to these veiled anti-establishment lyrics which really resonated. And this was felt across the Atlantic in America when Hendrix played the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967. The festival is generally considered a huge success, unlike some others we've looked at and will look at. It's responsible for introducing new bands to America, but it seems to mark a crossover point where these new, louder, heavier bands started to take the reins from their older, meeker elders. Bands like The Association, who got on stage in suits and played mainstream classics like Along Came Mary, were overshadowed by the explosive performances of bands like Jefferson Airplane and The Who. But in turn, <laughs> these acts were blown away by this new guy the USA hadn't really heard of. Jimi Hendrix was relatively unknown in America. He got on stage and turned his amps way up. The volume, the feedback, the dive bombing, that's when you hold a note on guitar and bend it with a whammy bar so it sounds like a dive bombing plane. It was nothing the audience had heard before. He played his guitar like no one else at the festival or ever. He was in bright hippie clothing with tons of sex appeal doing these erotic moves. Yet the pinnacle of his set was spraying his guitar with lighter fluid, throwing a match on it and playing a burning guitar. That 45 minute set changed his life and the lives of the 200,000 people watching him. He broke America and introduced a nation to a new kind of performance. Monterey was his introduction, Woodstock his legacy. At the 1969 festival, he played the American National Anthem on guitar. Again, the volumes cranked to 11, feedback ringing out and dive-bombing at regular intervals. To many traditional Americans, it was sacrilege, but it was hard for them to complain. After all, he was a veteran of the 101st Airborne, expressing his love for his country's anthem. These conservatives, I mean, they're not really remembered today. Even people complaining about it, that isn't really remembered today and not on the same scale that this iconic performance is anyway. Think of the flower power generation, and I'm sure for many of you, that image of Hendrix playing the American National Anthem at Woodstock comes to mind. It's hard to tell at the time just how iconic and influential you will become, but it was big then, and it probably did feel like he was driving a cultural change. Unfortunately, no matter how big Hendrix was, he couldn't argue with his record label. He wanted photography from Linda Eastman, better known now as Linda McCartney, to adorn the cover, but the label, Reprise, instead printed a group of naked women. 
It was done to be controversial, and Hendrix didn't like it. Hendrix didn't need added controversy. His music spoke for itself without the need for these cheap tricks. What may have been more controversial for his white audience was dedicating Voodoo Child to the Black Panthers, saying it's their national anthem on several occasions. Despite being seen as this prominent leader of the hippies, a white middle-class movement, he still had ties to his African-American roots. As mentioned, he supported the Black Panthers, and he played a benefit show for the United Block Association in Harlem, New York, a predominantly black area at the time. It's just amazing to think that the world's most famous musician at the time finds this small charity in inner city New York and plays a benefit gig for them. <laughs> Sadly, Jimi Hendrix met an untimely end. He died on September 19th, 1970 from asphyxia due to drug complications, making him another member of the 27 Club. His career spanned four years, but while short, he didn't just change music, but the very way in which we play guitar. There are no other artists who have been so influential in such a short amount of time. After his death, Voodoo Child went to number one in the UK charts, making this the first UK chart-topping song he released. It's definitely his heaviest song, along with being one of his most well-known. It's been covered countless times by artists across many, many genres. Again, it's kind of pointless naming the artists who cite him as an influence, because it's everyone in rock, metal, pop, and beyond. He showed the next generation of bands, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Queen, Steely Dan, etc., what can really be achieved with a guitar. Those bands would not have been around, at least not in the form we know, if it weren't for Hendrix. As Tony Iommi said, well, I think he came up with something at that time that got so much excitement in it. His style of playing, playing upside down, and just the aggression and the way he would do stuff behind his neck. Just things that didn't happen. And Ronnie James Dio said about Hendrix, he was another of my heroes. He invented the guitar as far as I'm concerned. The guitar we know, we rockers. He was just absolutely unbelievable. After his death, Jimmy Page said, we've lost the best guitarist any of us ever had, and that was Hendrix. Unfortunately for Page, Hendrix didn't think much of his band Led Zeppelin. Jimi Hendrix was such a powerful force in music, whose legacy lives on in so many ways. It makes me a bit sad to realise that there will never be a guitarist like him again. If you'd like to get in touch, you can contact me on Twitter, at AHOHM100. On the next episode, we'll discuss 21st Century Schizoid Man by King Crimson. Thank you for listening. 